brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. again with another exciting adventure. This is uh, Mike and Rob's audio adventures. <laughs> Sitting here sort of bench racing. Um, today we've got Ken Condon who is the head honcho of Riding in the Zone. Uh, in Ken's words, that's a place to find advanced training for skillful motorcycling. And Ken is a pretty sharp instructor. I've had the opportunity to ride under his tutelage and picked up a few things here and there. And Ken is also a chief instructor at Tony's Track Days. So in addition to teaching people how to, or helping people refine their skills for street riding, he's teaching sport bike riding on the racetrack along with street riding skills on the racetrack. Hi, Ken. Hey, Rob. Hey, Mike. Hey, Ken. Good to meet you. Nice. And of course, we've got Mike Knott there in the background coming to us from the Great White North, Thunder Bay, Ontario, miles from nowhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're uh, not the arsehole of Canada, but we can see it from here. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Rob Beach from Beach's Motorcycle Adventures, just offering a different opinion to everything. Uh, What I'd like to talk about today is riding on foreign roads, riding in places that one is not used to. And those foreign roads can be the nearby state, they can be another country, they can be another continent. And basically what there is that is different and how to prepare and deal with what one may encounter when riding in different places. So that's why we called you, Ken, just because you've got some insight into that kind of stuff. I do. There's uh, for two reasons. One is that I, not long ago, was not experienced in riding outside of the country. Canada doesn't count. Right, Mike? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> no, we're very similar, so yes. So I'm, I'm kind of, because of that, I have a perspective of from people who haven't really taken the plunge and, and gotten across the pond to, to ride their motorcycle. So the things that, we've, that I found right away is just the nature of how other uh, countries, how the drivers in other countries can be. A lot of people say, like in Italy, they're, they know about the crazy drivers they see in Rome. But when you get out of the cities, you know, people are really respectful, especially it seems from motorcycles. The other thing is that, you know, that some of the road signs and the tra- the uh, traffic signs and the uh, road markings and things can stump you. Uh, they are logical. 
but when you're in the heat of it uh, and you're out there and you're trying to manage traffic and manage corners and things like that, and then you see some sort of sign that's unfamiliar, uh, that can really distract you and, and kind of put you on edge. So when Rob gives out his handbooks and he has the um, sort of icons of what a lot of the road signs are. Uh, those things are something you should really pay attention to. And you know, it seems like often with the groups, and I would have been no different that you're looking at it, but of course, when you're on a trip a tour, there's a hundred things going on in your mind, probably the last of which is, is the road signs. <laughs> and until the next day, you're going down the road at whatever speed going into your corner and like, what the heck does that sign say? Or <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, I've I've actually developed a reasonably short list about some of the things that are different. And uh, I'll run through this real quick, and then you guys can pick up on whatever part of it you're interested in. But uh, one of the things that is pretty common once we move away from North America, where we have vast expanses of land, is that the roads are often quite narrow. Many of them don't have any shoulders. Many of them don't even have painted center lines. Passing zones tend to be pretty liberal. There are far fewer stops signs and stoplights, a lot more roundabouts and uh, more frequently yield signs at intersections rather than stop signs. Lots of surprises on the roads in the sense of the engineering. We are very, very used to having roads that are significantly engineered here. And in Europe, they tend to follow the contours a whole lot more closely than most of the roads in the States. And as a result of that, you can get all kinds of interesting and very surprising corners on them. Rarely do you see speed suggestions for the upcoming corners. There aren't great big signs saying, slow down, slow down, slow down. The drivers, rather than the road engineers or the sign crew, are the ones that are responsible for choosing safe speeds. There are a lot of elevation changes, uh, which of course leads to less line of sight and more blind corners and uh, far fewer road signs in general. So depending on where you ride in the United States or wherever you're from, you may come across some rural roads that are similar to what Rob just described. Um, narrow, um, no painted lines, and other, you know, sort of the idea that, uh, you know, there might not be as much signage in some parts of where you're riding in rural areas uh, in the United States. So there are similarities. A lot of the techniques and familiarity you have in the States, if you ride in rural areas, will come into, into uh, play when you're in, in Europe. So it's not something that you need to be intimidated by. If you are a confident cornerer and you've done your due diligence about becoming a competent, proficient rider, then there's nothing that should stop you from considering going to Europe. And especially you know, a lot of folks looking at the videos of riding in the Alps, and they get a little intimidated. Understandably, you know, there's a lot of, it's very narrow, a lot of drop-offs. You see tour buses in the middle of hairpin turns and things like that. But the principles that we have for cornering uh, apply in Europe just the way they do here. You know, gravity's the same there as it is here. And, physics and all that still comes I, I don't know. I think Italian gravity is a little bit worse than other people's gravity from what I've seen. Alpex <laughs> <laughs> in the corners there somewhere. <laughs> so one of the things that I do when I'm training with, when I'm with uh, a tour with Rob, is we talk a, a lot, awful lot about just how to manage the, the uh, hairpin type turns that you come across. Uh, think, in, think of the Alps you know, where uh, the hairpins will kind of come back on themselves. There are specific techniques that can help you to get through those and, and get through them with comfort. So that's a whole other 
topic, but I do have on my website uh, a article that was actually originally posted in or uh, printed in Motorcyclist magazine about mm. how to survive the Alps. Um, so it talks a lot about trail braking and uh, how to approach a corner and cornering lines and body positioning, uh, all those things that are subtle. That And if you're a, a scholar of riding, none of this stuff will, will sound uh, new, but applying it and putting it into practice, uh, that's what really will get you ahead of the game um, before you get on the plane and into the saddle uh, in Europe. It's one thing I've kind of noticed in life is that it seems like the simpler a task the more difficult it is to master and the more important all the little things matter. So hitting a golf ball, it's a very simple thing, right? You swing a club and you hit a golf ball. What's a big bloody deal? But of course, it's, as most of us know, it's extremely difficult. I think motorcycle riding is similar and people maybe don't appreciate it that, like you're saying, Ken, a lot of those little things, your body positioning, just the weighting, how you're weighting your pegs or weighting your bars or not weighting your bars, a lot of times more importantly, uh, adds up to a lot in the end, but people maybe don't appreciate it until until it's kind of pointed out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, my career has been motorcycle education for 25 years. And the big hurdle is to just get riders who have been on this, in the saddle for quite a while to get them to realize just what you said, that there are nuances that are important. You know, they might have gotten through the last 20 years without a serious mishap and they assume that that means they're a good rider and in reality when they get pressed like some of these ch really challenging areas where, whether it's the alps or europe or italy or or united states wherever they live that that's when the weaknesses appear and if you're ahead of those with training the ideal training is with a professional but you don't have to uh, you can get quite a ways with uh, knowledge and then the application by practicing purposefully. Well, one of my favorite lines uh, when you ask people, "Do you think you're a good driver, rider?" Um, they'll say, "Well, I've been I've been driving for 35 years without getting in an accident." My response to that always is, "Well, that's like saying I must be a good employee. I've been with the company for 30 years. I haven't got fired yet. <laughs> you know? oh, maybe yeah. it just means it." You haven't done anything bad enough to get fired. It's same thing with riding. You may, maybe you're not uh, terrible, but you may not be good. <laughs> so one thing I say to somebody who says, I've been riding 30 years, I don't need training, is that if you're like most riders, you have one year of experience that's just been repeated 30 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And especially with where you have more and more kind of features on motorcycles, new equipment, we have, of course, the different suspension that's coming out, more active suspension, things like that. It doesn't necessarily revolutionize what we're doing, but it can certainly affect it in many ways. Uh, ABS, cornering ABS would be maybe a really good example. Yeah, that's something I wrote. I have another article on my website that kind of talks about this because when I was writing for Motorcyclist, I did a, a bunch of press launches and some of them were like the Bosch IMU that allows that cornering ABS. Um, I had a, I'm doing these little Facebook live things now and, and uh, talked a bit about uh, some of the technology and about how ABS and this cornering ABS and traction control are great 
but that, you know, that don't use them as a crutch. You see that on the racetrack. You know, a lot of guys are, they're not great riders. They're going fast and they have their new R1. And you can just see that it's the traction control that's saving them <laughs> from <laughs> the side, you know. Well, I have to say, when I first did some track riding, I took a few courses in, in Canada here. And when I came home, I don't think I was riding any faster, but I definitely felt way more in control. I felt like as you're going in a corner, you're thinking, well, if this happened or if this was around the corner, of course, we were young. I had an R1, <laughs> very fast bike. You thought, well, if this happens, that happens. I know I'm going to do. I know I can do this or I'll at least attempt to. <laughs> Whereas before we took some of the training, it was, no, we're throwing this in the corner. Hope it works out well. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the thing about really getting ahead of that with your skills is that I talk a lot about uh, in the classroom at, at the track, at track days, particularly about what your goal is when you're at a track day, at least the ones we are, is certainly you're going to go out there and have fun. But my perspective is to provide a classroom curriculum. And uh, we have about 30 instructors with Tony's track days. And uh, the, uh, the thing is that what's your goal? And somebody says, well, I want to get my knee down. It's like, well, that's a fine goal, but don't chase that. You know, it's got to be the foundation has to be good technique. And then the, uh, the speed will come. Don't chase speed. Uh, so it's the same thing with the street riders that, you know, if you have a particular goal, understand that it's not a light switch, you know, that you have to get ahead of these skills. Now, talking about technology, that, that's all helpful. But that uh, I did, when I did go out to, where was it, Michigan, uh, to the Bosch Proving Grounds, and they had this um, cornering ABS, and they also had, you know, their traction control uh, that was able to now monitor lean angle. And they had all the journalists go out uh, on these multistratas, and uh, it happened to start raining. I don't know, but this surface they were on had a tremendous amount of grip. And so I was able to drag foot pegs on the darn thing, and then they asked us to grab the brakes, you know, while we were fully leaned over. And we're like, what? That, <laughs> you know, I can't do that. You're crazy. And it says, well, you got, you know, that's the way to do it. You test it, test pilot. And so we went out there, and the first time I did it, I was braking hard, but I was lifting the bike up like you would to preserve traction and came back in and the engineers were standing there and they're like, okay, now go back out there, but don't lift the bike out of the corner. And that was like, oh, geez, you know, you guys better have done a good job here. Otherwise I'm going to be on the ground. And so I went out, but sure enough, I was, I was really leaned over again, really hard and grabbed the brakes as hard as I could and resisted standing the bike up. And it did work. It was hmm. shocking. And it made me feel like the bike was uncrashable which is not true, by the way. <laughs> I had a mishap later that day <laughs> in, the, in the gravel. But the same thing you know, with traction control. Uh, also, it was, kind of, it was rainy. So I got on, I was in full lean, and I grabbed the, fr the uh, throttle. And first time I did it, I did get ahead of it. And it, all, it did it sort of kick me out of the seat. So the reason I bring that up is just because it's great to have as a safety net, but that you understand that that's what it should be used for. You, yeah. it is, it's not a substitute for excellent technique exactly yeah it is the safety net it is the thing that you're not bumping up against the edge of every time if you're bumping up against the edge of your safety net routinely it's uh time to work on the skills the interesting things that i see routinely with people coming over to europe as they have this incredible dash of new things tossed at them and haven't spent much time thinking about their riding beforehand, which unfortunately is part of life for a lot of people. We have a life and gee, when am I going to find time to practice on my motorcycle? Yeah. And that's something that tour members can, or anybody traveling in Europe, tour or otherwise, that's not important, 
and take advantage of routine and regular rides to brush up on some skills. I think that that's really important because it gets one's mind in the right frame to go out and tackle something that's new and different. So much riding in America is pulling away from controlled intersections and pulling up to controlled intersections, going through 90-degree turns at a four-way stop going through 180 degree turns with an on-ramp or off-ramp to the highway. Very few places where one has the opportunity, other than in the hills or the mountains and on the rural roads, to actually attack a series of corners. And, and it is that sort of riding that is an all-day affair in Europe. And that's one of the things that's interestingly difficult to get across to people, is you're going to get on your bike and ride it for two hours or six hours, whatever you choose, and it's going to be relentless compared to what we're used to back at home, where we're on the bike and we've got 45 minutes or an hour or two hours of great riding and then two hours of highway to get back home. And for most people in America, that's how riding is. <laughs> so it is it is really different in that sense. And it's um, tell us about uh, things that I can do when I'm riding around here regularly, Ken, that are going to help me practice to uh, get up into the Alps. What I'd start with is, you know, reading a book like mine, Riding in the Zone or Motorcycling the Right Way, and you got to know what to practice first. So a lot of people will say you become a good rider from seat time. That's really not accurate. But any sport or activity that can be considered, you know, challenging and not that every person can do, you have to think of it in terms of practicing the correct things. Otherwise, you're just reinforcing bad habits. So start with knowledge and then deliberately go out and usually start in the parking lot and just apply some of the techniques because they're things that you can start to get into your muscle memory, like trail braking. Again, these are tools that you should be aware of. Whether you use them all the time or not, that's beside the point. It's just that at least you have the tool in your toolbox to use, including things like emergency braking. You should be doing all this stuff with your passenger if you are taking a passenger with you on the on the tour because it only gets more difficult when you add that extra weight and the dynamics of a passenger whether that's a, a passenger that's really transparent and really is able to flow with the motorcycle you need to be able to train that person as well educate them as far as what you need to help help them feel comfortable literally and also figuratively as far as you feeling as though you're in control and confident and so that that's an important thing to do. After the parking lot thing, then you got to get out on the road and you consciously and purposefully practice the different techniques and find roads that are going to allow you to do that. And I know that a lot of people don't have the opportunities to ride sections of road that are similar to what you would encounter in Italy or in the Alps or Switzerland, wherever you're going, but that try to find those. Where I train and where I live in Western Massachusetts is in the Berkshires. Berkshire Hills, and we have roads that are perfect for learning that. If you live in North Carolina or you're anywhere near there and along the Village Parkway, any of those spur roads will give you a real good classroom opportunity to learn all these different, uh, these little different techniques. Again, you have to know, have the knowledge first. So go on, go to my website and just in the search engine, in the search field, just put in Alps or switchbacks or hairpins and you, it'll come up. The articles have come up. Uh, one thing I just want to keep going with on that is that there's a, a mountain that's near us that narrow and has some America calls a 15 mile an hour hairpin. And in reality, it's even, uh, it's even slower that those uphill and downhill have different techniques and that that's something else you want to 
to really any opportunity you can to, to try that out before you go with a passenger if you are planning on taking a passenger. And if you don't happen to have the advantage of having a mountain or hill nearby <laughs> and hairpins, hey, Mike? <laughs> what, you don't have a mountain in your backyard? What? <laughs> <laughs> then you get out in the parking lot and set up some imaginary hairpins in the parking lot. And you don't have the elevation challenge, but you can certainly learn most of the rest of the technique. There are an awful lot of ways that you can practice w during normal riding. One thing that everybody does when they go for a ride is depart from your driveway and eventually return to your driveway. And that's a great place to practice your braking. You've checked the surface out when you leave and you're coming back home after an hour or two hours of riding or whatever it happens to be. And you come upon the next door neighbor's mailbox and begin to apply your brakes. Find out where your stopping point is. And each time you come in, move it about six inches or a foot, a little at a time, a little at a time, until suddenly you're doing howling stops into your driveway is the last thing that you do. The other thing that we find routinely is that folks who are challenged skill-wise will say, I'll simply slow down. I'll ride slower and everything will be okay. And that's not reality. The reality is that simply going slower in Europe is not going to overcome a lack of riding skill. It really isn't. And that's something that, that I emphasize again and again and again. It's important that people actually develop more skill than is used routinely in the States. Pulling away is something as simple as pulling away from a stop sign or a stoplight. Once you've checked the intersection and you're sure that it's clear, don't accelerate away as gently as we always <laughs> do and shifting into the next gear. And I never get my motorcycle over 3,000 RPM. But actually ride it like it's a sport machine. That doesn't mean wheeling away, but it means using the throttle, understanding the throttle, because that's something that you're going to be doing 10,000 times a day in the Alps. When there are no stop signs, there are no intersections, but you're coming out of a slow corner and accelerating down a short straightaway and then using your brakes on the other side. And, and if we use the I'm from the Midwest and I'm cruising around on my motorcycle mindset, you never get anywhere. A, B, you're always working a whole lot harder than you need to be. So the important thing with the pre-tour rider exercises is that you're expanding your knowledge, expanding your ability, and expanding your understanding of the motorcycle. And it's necessary to do regardless of where you live. Mike, you're in the big flats as I am. <laughs> Ken, you've got a nice place to go ride. But where I am, it's a couple of hours before I get into any hills, and that's all double, double yellow line, 45 mile an hour stuff. And it's not nearly as challenging. It takes an effort for me to get out and actually be able to improve my skills on the roads that we have here. You know, I think one of the differences there is what I like to say, they, they drive with purpose, whereas we tend not to here, right? People get on the highway, get in the left lane, shut their brain off because, you know, okay, I got to turn left in five miles, so I don't have to think anymore. My, I know my turn's five miles from now, whereas you don't really see that there. Of course, everybody goes for a Sunday drive at different in different places of the world, but we, we tend to do it as a habit, whereas they, no, they're driving with purpose. And I've had many friends say to me, geez, I saw you driving the other day and I waved to you, you didn't see me. And uh, I've often said, that's, I'm not looking around to see if I know the guy in the other cars. I'm looking, I'm looking at where I'm going, what I'm doing, I'm looking at the road, I'm looking at, I'm driving with a purpose. I'm not <laughs> cruising along and 
and like almost like you're saying, Rob, putting along and trying to get the best mileage I can and wondering who's in the vehicle coming at me. No, I don't really care. <laughs> driving with a purpose. That's a good way to put it. People say, gee, they're driving so fast in Europe and they're not. That's, that's a very good way to put it. They're driving with a purpose. They're on the game and they have to be because that, that's, that's the, what's demanded of their skills. You don't find people talking on the telephone. You don't find people texting on the telephone. They're actually driving when they're in the vehicle. So it's very, very different than it is here. Because, yeah, the road system demands it. Like you said, there's not going to be a traffic light, a red light at every intersection that you have time to stop and text your friend. No, it's pretty much roundabouts. So you're thinking all the time. For the most part, you go around the corner and there's a cement truck half in your lane. Okay, I got to move over. And you just finished passing the cow that was standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> That's normal driving there. Like there's the narrow roads and there's lots of things going on. Yeah. So one thing that, uh, that I remember when I first started riding in Europe was that the drivers would seem to be what we would call tailgating here. They would drive, they would ride close. They do this though, in a way that feels controlled. You just keep your eyes forward. And what they're doing is they're setting up for a pass because passing is something that is a an expected and normal way of traveling is that they move at their pace and they find a safe way to get around you. Eyes forward, sort of like a racetrack thing. Keep your eyes forward, you know, notice that they're there, stay out of their way, move over to encourage them to go by. So these are the little things that you learn. Uh, and the things that Mike were just talking about, about, you know, the cow around the corner and all that stuff, that that's something that you, you want to expect before you go. And so when it happens, I'm talking to just be mentally prepared. And when it happens, it's just less of a shock because all of the stuff that Rob and Mike are talking about takes up a lot of bandwidth. And so if you can get in there and you can start to get in the groove, ride with purpose, ride very purposefully that you, you are engaging the way the drivers are around you in, in all the positive ways, then you're going to start to enjoy yourself more. The first couple of days are going to be a little tricky, you know, because it's going to take up an awful lot of your energy. Your stamina might not be so good. So you don't want to bite off a whole lot, right? Right from the first couple of days, but it gets better. And it's, it's a load of fun. Other things that one can do at home is getting used to routinely and regularly stopping and only putting one foot on the ground. Yeah. Not both feet. <laughs> yes, you've got a motorcycle that's low enough that you can put both feet on the ground. Get very used to stopping and putting one foot down. And then when you get good at that, figure out how to stop and put the other foot down <laughs> and only one foot because there are many places that you're going to be coming to an unlevel intersection and an unlevel place where you must stop. So there are places where it's only possible to put one foot down because the other one simply doesn't reach the ground. And getting that kind of skill under the controlled conditions of your familiar riding areas is a great time to do it. And then when you're there and pressed to have to do it, it's second nature. That's, that's the kind of stuff that we can do at home. Uh, develop smoothness while accelerating and deaccelerating so that your passenger sitting on the back has got no anxieties about what's going on because one thing you're going to be doing regularly is being on and off the gas. Say, so Rob, <laughs> how often do you see riders where that's a bit of an issue, where just the smoothness of shifting and braking and with a passenger, of course, when we, you should be doing it either way, but it's exacerbated when you have a passenger. How often are you seeing that when people come over? Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah, so the, the, what you're really uh, talking about is the contrast that Riding in challenging places requires excellent skills. If Now, understand that 
it's for your safety, but it's also for your enjoyment. Your, your passenger, if you're going with a, with a, a partner, uh, is going to have a good time. You're going to have a good time. If every time you get on the bike, you don't have anxiety that you're going to either drop the bike or you're going to have some sort of mishap. That's where the preparation comes in. One bit of preparation that I recommend is when you do get to your assigned motorcycle, that you find an opportunity to do some emergency braking practice. Now, some of these places, as you can hear, as Rob describes, they don't have a lot of open spaces. So you find the opportunity when you can. Uh, you have to make sure it's safe to do so. Uh, but it's similar to what Rob was saying about practicing emergency braking just on a normal ride. You just find an opportunity. There's nobody behind you, nobody around you, nobody coming the other direction. The surface is clean, and you get on the brakes hard as though, you know, a a deer jumped out in front of you and start to really get a feel for what that motorcycle can do. The other thing I do whenever I get on a new motorcycle is I do uh, tight, slow maneuvers. Because the if you get into hairpins, if what your, your tour is is to get you in the Alps or in some of these challenging hairpin type uh, sections of road, is that you're going to be going uphill and downhill at speeds that are almost, they're maybe a little bit faster than parking lot U-turn uh, type speeds. So Get in a parking lot and start doing those tight U-turns and maneuvers with a passenger if you're going to be riding with a passenger. Start by alone first because the techniques can be, uh, you know, it's best if you don't have that distraction. Again, I'm going to say it, I go to the website, my website, ridinginthezone.com and type in slow speed. I've got articles about that. And then apply the techniques. They're very specific and they can really help you to have a good time. So Ken, something that took me many years to develop mostly because there was no need here where we live. I won't say need, but two fingers on the brake on and with your hand still on the throttles. So I really got lots of practice in Europe. Get in the turn, you're on the brake, on the brake, off as you're bleeding off the brake, on the throttle out of the turn. Uh, is that something you know, a little bit more advanced or is that something really everybody can kind of practice? So you're describing Something that Rob brought up before is the smooth application of brakes and throttle. What I talk about that uh, in that context is uh, intensity and timing. So you can delay your brakes and have to brake hard, or you can look ahead and make sure that you see what's coming and brake smoother and easier. You won't get helmets clunking with your passenger, <laughs> but uh, also it's just going to keep the pitch of the motorcycle more stable so that you're not overloading one tire or the other. Now, the actual technique that you're bringing up, Mike, is uh, really trail braking. And yeah. again, I got a bunch of articles and podcasts and videos about trail braking uh, off the website, but everybody needs to learn this. Now, it's not taught in basic rider courses, probably rightly so, because they're just learning how to operate the motorcycle. But it really, very quickly, you really need to understand the power of being able to taper off the brakes in the corner. And so what that does is it, it's a long topic. So be sure to read up on it. But let's say you're going downhill and there's a very tight right-hand hairpin turn and it's coming back on itself. It's so tight and it's fairly steep. You need to brake, obviously, to slow down. Gravity's going to try to accelerate you. So you have to brake a little bit you know, more. And especially if you have a passenger, you got a lot of weight there and you apply both brakes and then you hold the brakes past when you start turning in. Because if you were to release the brakes while you're still straight up and down, that pretty much tells the bike that you don't want to turn, that you want it to stay upright or, or if you get on the gas to get upright. So the timing of that is critical. So you hold the brakes so that gravity doesn't accelerate you down the hill too early and then you hold the brakes around the corner nice and smooth. As you tip in, you have to release the brakes because there's only a certain amount of traction. 
That's why they call it trail brake, is trailing off the brakes. And the two-finger technique is really very important as far as being able to control the transition from brakes to throttle. So that if you have two fingers on the, uh, your index and middle, typically, and your uh, ring finger and your pinky on your throttle, you can overlap those, those two techniques just slightly so that you can really make the smoothest transition you can from braking to throttle. Because as you come around the corner and the bike is more or less pointed toward the exit of the turn, you're off the brakes. You're pretty much off the brakes in the middle of the turn, give or take, the, you know, whatever the corner dictates. And then you're, the bike wants to be under tension. So you want to be on the gas as soon as you can, very, you know, gradually. And we talk about it as a ratchet. The throttle is a ratchet. So one click of throttle is that maintenance throttle. And you want to get on that as soon as you possibly can. And then a second click is now going to start to barely accelerate you. Three clicks is now going to start to actually drive you enough that now the bike is going to come out of the lean and start to straighten up. So you can see it's not difficult. It's really, well, I shouldn't say it's, it's not complex. It sounds like it, but it's really what you're doing now. It's just that the timing might not be quite as uh, as accurate as it really could be. Yeah, yeah. I've, and I found the added benefit is, like Rob was talking about, so many parking lots and intersections are off camber or not level. So if you can, you have those two fingers on the brake, you can pull away from an intersection or from your parking spot. You're in control. You don't need to have your left foot on the, on the ground so you can have your foot other foot on the on the brake because that isn't always possible <laughs> so you have better control control the bike but it where i got good at it was in europe because of course you go through so many turns it's yeah yeah it's <laughs> it's a it's a totally uh, crash course on it yeah one of the things that uh, i see a lot when on these tours with people that haven't really done much is how they get overwhelmed and it's really because they haven't really kind of prepared themselves quite as much as they could it's not a lot of work let's not make this sound like work no, this is if you're a motorcycle rider and you enjoy riding, this is going to make it more fun. You know? But put the uh, put the effort into it and it will reward you. And the important part about putting the effort into it is expanding your envelope. So it's not a question of getting smooth with the braking pressures that you're using today. It's getting smooth with more and more and more braking pressure. It's not getting smooth with the throttle application that you use today it's getting smooth with more throttle and using that motorcycle more and expanding that envelope. Remember that you don't need to ride at the extremes all the time, but it's important that you know that you've got a whole lot in the bag. One of the things that I've found is that it's difficult to push people to do things with more gusto and enthusiasm because fear gets in the way and that's fair. So take it little steps at a time. But the really important thing is that when it's all said and done, I've taken enough little steps that what I am now doing is significantly beyond what I was doing last month. Teeny tiny little steps, but now I'm coming off the coming off that stop line, stop sign, checking both ways, making sure everything's clear, good, I've got a clear shot, and I'm rolling the throttle on hard. I'm moving away from the cars. I'm not going 75 miles an hour. I'm only riding up to 45 or 50 or whatever the speed limit is, but I am doing it with dispatch. I am doing the same thing on the stops, improving my knowledge of exactly how that machine slows down by slowing down either later, which is not always the sensible thing, or simply harder earlier, understanding that I'm going to be short of the corner speed-wise, but I understand my brakes better because that's the focus at the moment. 
to get to the to get to the point where I can actually use my brakes harder. You were you were talking about using the brakes hard and and not having your passenger slam helmets. I have not had a passenger touch my helmet in uh, ooh, about 15 years now. <laughs> so if that's happening, riders, that's not the passenger's fault. That's uh, the rider's fault because somewhere along the line in the feedback loop. The passenger doesn't know what's going on, and it's time to work on that kind of stuff. Well, you so, know, the other thing I think we, we can really appreciate where the three of us live is if you're very confident going down the road, let's, let's bring this back to a, to a car, confident going through whatever turns in your car at, at 70 miles an hour where the other guy is only confident at 50, what happens when it snows? <laughs> well, so now that guy's driving 30 miles an hour. Well, we're still probably driving speed limit or above if we can think of that with a motorcycle you're you're going through your hairpin turns if you're not that accomplished a rider so you're putting along fairly slowly well what happens when it rains you know that confidence level really goes down and so if you can practice some of these skills you you can still get down a road in a reasonable manner because if you get into one of these bigger mountain passes and you're going slow to begin with rain comes and I, it can be painful <laughs> to get to the other side of that pass, and you might have three more to go. We're spitting uh, snow, right? Uh, yeah, I've, we've ridden in a bit of snow, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I, really understanding and appreciating how the traction, uh, how much traction you have or don't have. I've ridden in the rain. I've ridden on the racetrack with some people in the rain. I'm, I'm usually fairly confident. And you see some people extremely nervous, scared, because a lot of riders, they'll, they'll never ride in the rain. Uh, Bonnie and I have gone to a motorcycle rally, left the house. It was raining. It's like, well, the poor old day will come home early, but let's give it a try. We'll see. But other riders, no bloody way. It's raining. I can't go out in that. So what we, this is going to be my pitch about race, uh, racetracks and uh, track days, is that to gain that margin that Rob was talking about, that your skills are, let's say, at a, end up developing to an eight. On the street, you're only going to use typically up to five, right? I'm talking about a scale of, uh, from zero to 10. 10 would be expert racer level or, you know, it doesn't have to be on the racetrack. Be a street rider who's just got their skills really as top as they can get them. That you're developing a margin for error and confidence, a margin for confidence. Because like what you're saying, Mike, is that if you can do this in the dry, you're then if it rains or there's another variable that comes in there, then you have the skills to just apply the, the technique with confidence and with, uh, you know, do what you need to do with, with authority. Confidence isn't something you talk yourself into. Confidence is something you, that comes through experience of the proper techniques and the feeling that you get that I got this. So it's not, it's not something that you can just will in. You have to really, again, put the seat time in and the, and the purposeful um, learning and then practice. How much uh, training do you do in the dirt? Can I quickly look at your website? Look like you did a bit of off-road training, just as we're talking about different riding, riding dynamics. And of course, we can always hit construction. I've hit some really ugly construction, but uh, can you speak on that a bit? Oh, sure. So dirt, whether it's dirt with a dirt bike or an adventure bike, the uh, skills that you get, the knowledge you get from being on, a, on surfaces that are, that are not paved and not necessarily dry or certainly not uh, stable, gives you a feel for what it feel, a motorcycle feels like that's moving around underneath you. Uh, it also gives you the techniques that 
allow you to maintain traction. So you mentioned traction, Mike. That's a huge thing is I, what I call it. You have to develop a traction sense. And it's a mindfulness about how the rubber feels literally on the pavement or on the surface, whatever the surface is. And it's also about predicting what's going to happen. When you look ahead and you see a particular surface, let's say that's an off-camber turn and it's wet. All right. So you kind of get an idea of just that. Hopefully you have a rough idea about what the limitations are with the traction because we know if it's dry, we don't have a whole big problem. You might have a ground clearance problem if you're leaning over too much. But when it's wet, it becomes a little bit more challenging. So what can you do about it? It's like one thing to go, oh, geez, you know, freak out about it. If you know what to do about it uh, and you've done it before, this is a big part of this is that knowledge doesn't make you a better rider. It's the first step. You have to put it into practice and you have to have it be in your muscle memory. Because if you come into a corner and it does something other than what you expected because you didn't read the road quite right, there's no thinking about it. It has to be a do. You have to just automatically be able to do it. Lean the bike farther by countersteering, brake appropriately so that you're, again, smoothly, that you're not going to lose traction and cause more problems from your panic. The last thing I want to bring up is that lean angle, uh, lean angle limits. Everybody has a lean angle limit. So what I find when I train you know, riders who are intermediate, let's say, or even certainly beginners, that they'll go into corners, and Rob brought this up earlier, that they think they're safe because they're riding slow. Uh, it's because they don't have the uh, confidence that they can lean farther than whatever, 14, 20 degrees or something. Uh, that's a problem because you will get into corners that are going to require you to lean more than you probably have before. Now, this comes back to the parking lot. You can get out in a parking lot and do figure eights and just challenge yourself to lean your motorcycle over more than you have before. Make sure the surface is clean and you're, you're doing it safely, but that if you've never dragged a floorboard on your Harley, mm, try to do that. You know, that's not a, a huge challenge on a, on a low-slung cruiser. So make sure that... Uh, that your bike is, is, you know, is ready to do it, your tires are good and all that you know, safety stuff. But the racetrack, let me mention that we have up here in the Northeast non-sport bike track days and with Tony's track days. If you're interested in that sort of thing, it's, uh, you can go to get the information off my website. But we have uh, a whole day that's all riders on Harleys and Gold Wings and adventure bikes and sport tours and everything. Uh, I've even had a bunch of people show up with Bergmans, you know, the big scooters. Uh, <laughs> Sounds fun. We, yeah, it's a blast. They, 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 excellent rider. The guy really could ride. It doesn't matter yeah. what you're riding. And so people leave that track day and are shocked. They, the typical quote we get is, I learned more in that one day than I have in the last X, 10, 20 years I've been riding. And it's because it's concentrated training, which is very beneficial. If you can't get to a racetrack, it doesn't matter. Do what we've been talking about. Start off with knowledge get in and apply it in the parking lot. And then as much as you can, uh, get out there and practice it out on the road at speed. Speed training is really important. Well, Rob, you ice raced back in the day before they had the good tires like they do now. And we we're just talking about traction. And I've noticed that I've, things I've read about the guys who ice race or super motard. It's really, really kind of balancing that traction, getting as much traction as you can. You, again, you, back when you ice raced, they're terrible uh, tires and you did quite well. Is there, is there something you took out of that for the street? More from Speedway, actually, because ice racing, there is quite a bit of traction. <laughs> but not Speedway, like now, though, but now it's crazy. But <laughs> now, um, street riding is is a whole different animal than that because if you're routinely exploring the limits of traction on the street, it will bite you. 
it will bite you sooner rather than later. It's, uh, that's something that needs to be done on the track. But the points that Ken is making about riding in the dirt and getting used to feeling the tires is something that really is important. And it gets harder and harder. The new technologies like ABS and like traction control actually make it harder to feel the tires and what they're doing when you're at near the limits because it's hard to tell if the bike is actually kicking into traction control or uh, what's going on. So, so that's an interesting dilemma. But the lean angles increasing, the fact of the matter is the street bikes do all now have more traction than we are, than we think they do. And getting out into the parking lot, doing the figure eights, doing the circles tighter and tighter and tighter and getting used to leaning it over and the transitions. It's not simply going in and getting into a circle and going tighter and tighter and tighter. It's coming down and making a turn into a transition with a serious lean angle and pulling back out. That's a whole different feeling than simply going around a circle tighter and tighter and tighter. And, and it's a whole different feeling than the figure eight because I'm coming down, I need deaccelerate, bang, I'm into the turn, etc. But getting familiar with the fact that there is more traction is really important. So from the ice racing and speedway standpoint, that was the one thing that I pulled out of it is traction is dynamic. It is uh, variable. It is necessary on motorcycles. Especially <laughs> <laughs> without and, gravity. <laughs> yeah. And the, um, the penalty for not trusting it and not understanding it is... Fear and panic, and fear and panic just messes everything up right away. Serious exercise in developing that confidence makes that potential fear and that potential panic go away and, and really makes the ride a whole lot more comfortable and relaxed in the sense of mental relaxation. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more because uh, the uh, idea that traction is everything on a motorcycle and the smooth transitions from braking to accelerating and knowing the loading you're putting on the front tire, the rear tire, and that you want to create nice smooth ramps and, and not cliffs um, with your loading, that's what's going to really help manage the traction. So on the in the dirt, so back to Mike's question, dirt riding, and everybody's, most people have been in on a gravel road and their, and their street bike. It's really something that Take it as an opportunity to broaden your comfort zone because you will get be in oppor uh, opportunities. Let's call them opportunities, but you'll be in situations that will be, uh, you know, sort of pucker you a little bit. And you want to make sure that you've had that experience before so that when you approach it, you're like, eh, I got this. I did this before. And when it's all said and done, you say, wow, Zowie, what a fun road. <laughs> <laughs> you now have a, a different, a new standard. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's what it's about as far as I'm concerned. Is little challenges here and there routinely and regularly. And uh, to get out and say, hey, these are the circumstances I have around me as far as the roads that are available to me, as far as where I have to practice, what can I do to facilitate thoughtful and mindful riding that's going to improve my abilities while I go out and do this today. Well, one of the things I've, I've, Rob's heard me say this before, but one of the things I like to do mostly in Europe, just because we don't have the road markings around where I live, is on the crosswalks in Europe, they do like the hash marks as opposed to here, they'll do a white line right across. That's your crosswalk. But if you can do something like, I try and do it as like a mental skill to only ride in between the white lines. Every time I see one of those, only hit the, the paved marks in. It's uh, just a way for me to train myself to look where you want to go. And you know, don't see, don't look at the pothole 
pothole and and then <laughs> run into it and say, damn, why did I hit that bloody pothole? Uh, right. Other th other things in addition to that is um, you're riding along and there's a crack running down the road. Do you actually know where your tire patch is on the road relative to where your body is? Um, again, that's stuff that on a racetrack, you develop a much more intimate feel of where your tire track is relative to your body quickly because you're going around the same 12 corners all day long and that repetition is great but on the street it's harder so if you're riding along and you're leaned over and there's a wee crack in the road that you can feel when you go across it pay attention say well i'm going to hit that right about now and if you're right you know where your tire track your tire patch is if you if and you'll be very surprised to discover that you're probably mentally are putting your tires in a very different place than where they are and that gets hugely important when you're on a narrow road or a narrow trail or whatever, and you actually need to put your tires in a particular place to get through that corner safely. You come around a corner and there's a pile of gravel, and I need to A, make the corner, B, I need to slow down, and C, I need to avoid that pile. And if you don't know where your tires are, you're only guessing. Yeah. Right. So there, there are so many ways that, that being mindful of riding, you can actually improve just on a day-to-day -day basis your skills and your awareness riding any place. So Ken, uh, years ago I read this article, I was while driving a car, and the saying was, your hands deal with feet, your feet deal with inches. So the idea being that through the steering wheel, if you want to adjust your line, you turn the steering wheel, that adjusts the car feet to adjust your the line that you're on with your car, use the throttle to adjust to inches. You know, you know what I'm saying? So your yeah. hands deal with the feet, your feet deal with inches. Do, do we have a similar thing for uh, riding a motorcycle? Oh, yeah. The whole point about the, the dynamics of a motorcycle are that off the throttle, you're telling the motorcycle that you want it to certainly slow, but to turn in. At the beginning of a corner, you decelerate and brake. That sort of loads the front tire, compresses the suspension in the front, and then that encourages or enhances the uh, the ability to go from upright into a lean angle, all right? So that's a deceleration. To get the bike to stand up, you don't steer it out to the outside of a, cur a curve at the exit, you use the throttle to do that. So to get the motorcycle to lean in, you're decelerating or so maybe slightly braking. Remember with trail braking, it's you're, you're getting 95% of your brake, you're slowing down straight up and down, and then you're tapering off the brakes. Remember that now that's going to help the bike tip in. So the uh, it's absolutely the same. The, the counter steering is what is the big, you know, moving the motorcycle by feet. Is that's how you get that motorcycle to initiate the lean from upright uh, into a corner. If you're not familiar with counter steering, then, uh, you know, read, it up, read up on it. You've been doing it since <laughs> the day you rode a bicycle. And it happens at all speeds, including practically zero miles per hour. I can show you how if ever you come on a tour with me. But it's absolutely the same. It's throttle is, is how, once you're in a lean angle, it's throttle that controls your, your path of travel. And that actually goes back to what Rob was saying about where your tires are. Uh, the cornering line you take, the outside sort of might come in toward the inside at an apex and then exit toward the outside. That can really come in handy. I mean, I use it all the time and I teach it all the time. But the big part of this is that reading the road, being able to see well ahead and to have the clues, the very conscious of the clues that are there that will tell you where the road's going next. If you can't see it, if it's a blind turn, then you are very conscious of making a, an educated decision or choice or uh, guess at it. You're likely going, if you're good at this, you're going to be right 85%, 90% of the time, usually 95% of the time. 
when you uh, start to get into things that uh, corners that are really blind, then you have to pull out, you know, every technique you've got. And this is a visual technique. So it's, it's how you judge what's where the radius of the corner, how it's going, even if you can't see the exit. I know I've through some experimentation <laughs> found just speaking of that, that when you're on the road, you get into a turn. And my thought has been after some bad experiences, can you don't know if this corner is going to be 100 degrees or maybe 280 degrees when they, when it's a blind turn. So when I, you enter that turn, if in your mind, on your line, you think if this corner is 280 degrees, I can maintain this line. As opposed to sometimes we get into the turn and think, oh, this is a 100 degree turn my speed will carry me out to the outside part of the lane, but that, that's fine. That's where I want to be. And then you get into it and you go, Oh, <laughs> this is one of those, whatever, 250 degree turns, which my, my lean angle and my speed that doesn't, that doesn't work. And then we start the, the trail breaking the, the old crap. Uh, but if you enter every turn and that with that mindset, when it's, when it's blind, you can't see your apex with that mindset. Can I follow this line? If it turns out to be 250 degrees? Yeah, I can. Well, then I'm totally safe. I'm, well, I'm, I'm fairly safe. Yeah. Uh, so that's and for those of you that are sitting back and calculating 280 degree turn, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. It isn't. <laughs> it actually isn't. I've been on a number of roads in, in particularly in central Italy where a 280 degree turn is kind of common. Yeah, so this is something that's that's really key is that you always enter a turn at a speed that you're very confident that you can get on the throttle. About halfway around the corner, you should be able to pick up the throttle. If not, then you enter the turn too fast for your ability mm -hmm. or for the uh, yeah, for your ability or for the uh, ability of the motorcycle, but typically the rider's uh, ability is what makes it so that I, I went into the corner too fast. Yeah, too fast for who? So you have to judge that, again, by visually looking at the clues, the edges of the road, if there are painted lines, and getting a good idea about what it's likely to do. You approach the corner with a margin of safety so that you come in just a little bit slower, and then you tip in, and if, if it's a happy surprise, it opens up and it's not as tight as you thought. Get on the gas. You can always get on the gas. Now, with trail braking, you carry the brakes into the turn. If the turn tightens more than you thought, you're already on the brakes. Remember, you're doing 95% of your braking straight up and down. You're slowing, but you're now tapering off, and you might be at, say, 4% of the brakes when you realize that you have to slow more because the turn's tightening. You're already on the brakes, so you just squeeze them a little bit more and get two more uh, degrees of braking, and that will tighten up the line, and it allows you to slow without loading and unloading the front tire because if you let go of the brakes and you have to get back on the brakes that gobbles up a whole bunch of traction actually I, i've heard that line before and some other courses i've taken in that there's no such thing as too fast into a turn relatively speaking and that often people want to say that oh i was going too fast and what i've been taught is if the best rider in the world was on your motorcycle or in your car could they have made the turn most people say yes well, then you weren't going too fast. And it's the reason for saying that is that what you're saying is when you're saying oh, I was going too fast was it was not possible. It's totally impossible. As opposed to I screwed up. I made a mistake. I should have turned in later, sooner, did whatever, picked a different line. And it's a fine point. But if you don't look at it that way, I don't think you'll you'll learn from your mistake. Absolutely. Good riders don't blame the, the machinery. You know, They usually end up coming back and saying, I know what I did wrong, or I know I like what to, I could have done I, different. I like to blame the tour guide myself. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> you wouldn't be the first, Mike. So, well, we've been carrying on for quite a while. I mean, there are a lot of different subjects that we talked about, but it all boils down really and truly to work on your skills. Do your very best before you are off on tour where it's absolutely necessary to use those skills to improve upon them before you go. Whether that is getting involved with professional organized training on road or off road, or simply working real hard at home to be mindful of how your motorcycle handles, how it works, and how you interact with it, both solo and with a passenger. Yeah. Remember that you're not as good as you think you are, <laughs> but it doesn't take a ton of effort to get as good as you want to be. And you want to be a whole lot better before you go on tour so that you can enjoy the tour more. Bingo. Well, hey, Mike, I've got something to tell you about the next podcast here. We've got a fellow named Joe White joining us. Ah, Joe, Joe White. Is, Joe White. Joe is the owner of White Cycles. He's got three different shops in Pennsylvania, one in Lebanon, one in Mannheim, and one in Chester Springs, selling Harley-Davidson's. And Joe is ex-AMA flat tracker, and he is coming along to talk to us about the Isle of Man, where you've been, and I've been, and Joe's been. So we're just going to have a bit of a chat about our experiences as spectators at the Isle of Man. That sounds excellent. That was, that was such a such an iconic, great event. I love being there. It'll be great to reminisce about that. Cool. Good. Well, Ken, thank you for your astute insight and uh, the time that you put into this. I, Folks, I've toured with Ken a couple of times. He does a heck of a job. He really, really does. He's, uh, his on-the-road on training is fantastic with helmet-to-helmet -helmet communication and an incredible insight into what's going on around him. He's very good, and I would strongly urge anybody that is at all on the fence to give Ken a call and sign up for a course. Great being here, Rob. Thank you, Mike. Ciao for now, guys. Till next time. Next time we're going to do with sock puppets. <laughs> <laughs>